0: Hey guys, welcome to Rihanna's Lens, where I interact with you about the components in the STEM field and introduce you to fascinating people who passionately inhabit the scientific and technical frontiers of our society. My name is Rihanna Malhotra and I'm absolutely elated to share this podcast with all of you. On this episode, I'm joined by a guest who's a third year PhD student at the University of Wisconsin. She's studying cell signaling in the context of cancer. I'm so glad to welcome and introduce Shandra. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to begin our discussion. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. So I'm so excited to talk to you. Firstly, I want to know what exactly is it that motivated you to get into this field? So I actually it
1: started in high school. Um, so I was about 16. And I was invited to do a protein modeling project. Um, I really only started learning what proteins were, um, but we got paired with a PhD student in Milwaukee to help us with our project. It was about a group of five or six of high school students and I loved it. And that's pretty much what started. I was like, okay, I really like biology and chemistry. Um, I knew that at the end of high school and then when I was trying to pick a college major, I couldn't decide between biology and chemistry. And then I figured out that biochemistry was a thing and I didn't have to choose.
0: Oh, cool. so yeah. um, <laughs> like you always had interest in bio and chem as it seems like in, from high school. So yeah. um, what made you get into cancer research specifically?
1: Um, so actually about half of my immediate family members had a diagnosis of cancer while I was growing up. Um, so I felt like it was something that I, something small that I could do. Cause I always felt so helpless about all of it. Um, especially during my mom's cancer diagnosis, but then I realized that I could use science to fight back in my own way. Um, and so I joined the lab that I'm in, um, because a, because I really like the science and my past research experience blended well with it, but um, also because it's really common in the types of cancer that are really common in my family. So um, I feel like I'm making a small bit of difference anyway with my science knowledge.
0: Right. I think um, like the family influences really impact a person's career. So um, like you said, there are a lot of family members had um, been diagnosed with cancer growing up. So I think that like you said, maybe feel helpless. So when you get into this field, it's all about, oh, what can I do better? And how can I help my family members? Because I'm sure there's a lot of pain and suffering that um, cancer patients go through. So um, I think that's a great cause that you're in this field for. And I wish you all the best for this. Thanks. (laughs) Um, So now as you're in by bi- uh, under like measuring under biochemistry what are some of the coolest experiments that you have done in your lab
1: um so i have not i've done a lot of different things i do a lot of western blots um if you follow me on instagram uh g protein coupled researcher um i do a lot of western blots which for those of you unfamiliar is um running proteins on a gel um you separate them on a gel and then you transfer it over to a special piece of paper called nitrocellulose, and you um, put antibodies on it that bind to a specific protein that you're looking for so that you can see the levels of a certain protein um, in your sample. The process takes about six hours for the first day, and then you have to develop in the next day. So it's quite a time involved process to do so many Westerns. And I do a lot of them. Like I do them almost every single day. Um, so they're really useful, but I wouldn't say they're the coolest. Um, other people in our lab have done chemotaxis assays, um, which basically means that you're studying how cancer cells migrate. Like you literally put them underneath the microscope and you put a protein on one side of the chamber and you can physically watch the cancer cells migrate.
0: Wow, that sounds pretty awesome. So um, I'm sure you get to work with so many equipments um, in your lab. And as technology is advancing, I'm sure there must be a lot of more equipments coming in. So what are uh, some of the most amazing equipments that you have used? Like, you know, in high school, uh, there are a lot of equipments that you use in your lab activities for the practicals. But uh, was there anything different that really amazed you?
1: Um, in high school, we actually this was in 2014, so like this was pretty new at the time. Um, we got to use a 3D printer to print out a model of our protein, which was really cool. And I really liked that. And I got to get practice like using the computer to model the protein, and um, it was Jmol, I think, at the time. So that was pretty neat. I've also done, um, well, what are some other cool things I've done? We've just recently got a really nice plate reader. Uh, in our lab, so it's like worth about two hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, yeah, I got a grant for it, but um, we use a biophysical technique called BRET. I don't, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that, but it's a way to detect if two of your proteins that you're interested in are interacting in in an actual cellular environment. So it's really easy to like purify, or relatively easy to purify two proteins in this like see if they interact in a test tube, but that doesn't really tell you about like if that's actually happening in a cell or what function it has. Um, so we can add fluorescent proteins on the end of two different, um, proteins that we're looking at. And then if they're close enough in proximity, um, the fluorophores actually excite each other and we can measure that with a plate reader. So, um, I've done that as well
0: yeah all of these sound like such cool equipments and isn't it crazy how much we've progressed from the past in uh, terms of technology like uh, i'm sure in the olden days all these um, things that we're building on now all these experiments that we are working on they had no equipments and they managed to find the, just the basics and now we're just building upon it more and more with more technologies and i'm sure as times go forward there will be more technologies that we'll be able to find out something more in depth about our cells and our body. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I always just think it's amazing how like such small molecules can cause such a big impact on human health.
0: Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. So um, even in labs now, I think automation and robots are just, as I said before, because the technology is advancing. So what do you think about automation taking over labs? To some extent, it won't ever really take over because you still have to
1: have people that design the experiments. A computer can't think critically about how to design the experiments, how to set it up and all that. Um, I think more training with robots and more training with like the technological part during graduate school, even undergrad would be helpful. Having experience on those kinds of um, machines is definitely helpful. Um, But it can be it can be useful i can see it and i don't think it would ever really fully replace a scientist's job i think it just redefines what a scientist's job would be
0: right definitely i think we will be um, using their aid we will be having some help from them but we'll always need programmers to be behind uh programming robots and developing software so i don't think we leave anything to robots like anytime soon so um, I think human involvement is really important. So I completely agree with you. Um, also now going back to the cancer question, do you think we'll be able to cure cancer anytime soon? Um, honestly,
1: no, but that's only because it's so different in every person, right? So like I do some outreach with elementary school aged kids and they ask me the same thing like, Oh, are you going to cure cancer? I'm like, well, no, but here's why. And like my research is still important and it's still worthwhile to do, but when every single cancer cell has different sets of mutations and different sets of proteins overexpressed, I mean, you pretty much just have to treat each individualized person based on the mutations that they have. And those can be genetic or sometimes they're completely random. And so being able to understand what happens when each one of those proteins goes awry like our lab studies of g protein coupled receptor that when it's overexpressed causes cells to grow out of control and migrate out of control both are bad Um, but not every type of cancer has an excess amount of that receptor but if there are enough you know labs all over the world focusing on a different protein
0: then we can better understand the process as a whole Right, so um, like I'm sure, but also um, since I'm in high school, I'm learning about the DNA structure, and there are yeah. I what well, I know that there are telomeres at the end of the DNA. So mm-hmm. uh, why can't we make some? I know it's a really hard process, but uh, can we make any chemical that you know stops the replication of the DNA or um, stops the telomeres from just replicating?
1: Yeah, so. Uh, That's a good question. And actually, so that's the basis, not not telomeres exactly, but like that is the basis behind chemotherapy. So um, a lot of common chemotherapies will interrupt DNA synthesis um, because if you can't divide your, if you can't replicate your DNA properly, then you're not going to go through mitosis because you don't have two good copies of the DNA and the cell dies. So this is the idea behind, oh, any fast growing cell population will, will die with this essentially poison. Um, and that's why you lose your hair when you go through chemo because your hair is really fast dividing, it grows really quickly. Um, and when your hair cells can't divide, then you, then you lose them. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, yeah, those are the, the basis. The, the issue though is that, okay, how do we have some sort of targeted therapy that makes it so that only the tumor cells are the ones that are dying and not all the lining of your intestines and not your hair and all of those things. Um, Cause those are the things that make it really that make cancer treatment very difficult.
0: Yeah. I'm sure these are huge challenges and I'm sure I, I just hope we can find a way to prevent that the, all these things or um, just find a way to slow down the process in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that would be really helpful to the patient. So I don't know, maybe like, Gradually, we'll be able to progress with the help of technology or just um, amazing people that come into the field like you. So just hopefully we can uh, inspire more people to join this field and um, help the cancer patients. Um, So now moving forward, what is the most rewarding aspect about um, your field? Oh, that's a good question.
1: Um... I really like being able to pass on my science knowledge to other people um, with all different backgrounds. I, I think it's really important to make science more accessible to the general population and communicating my science. Like I really love being able to use my creativity to make like graphics, to um, put in science presentations that I'm giving to explain my research. Um, because ultimately the more people that really understand what we're doing, then the more people can get behind us in the fight against cancer and, you know, generally support, um, how biomedical research in
0: general. So, right definitely um and also as you said that uh, to impart the information about science to other people it's so important and also especially now that social media is booming there are a lot of people like from before i've just noticed that a lot of people want to get into being an influencer or just getting into youtube or tiktok and uh, they're drifting apart from the actual fields that uh, i'm not saying that these are not like really fields but you know, they're drifting apart from the STEM field. So that's why it's so important to raise awareness about how important these things can also be. And um, there are fewer and fewer people that are like joining. That's what I have noticed. I don't know about you. Like, what are your opinions about this?
1: I'd say that those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Um, I started a science Instagram account just because I really want to be a lecturer. I want to be a college professor. That's why I'm in graduate school. Um, But I wasn't really getting a lot of teaching experience because I was early on in my PhD, but I really wanted to do it. And so I decided I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just communicate my science on the Internet. (laughs) Um, And then all of a sudden now there's like somehow thousands of people that want to follow me. (laughs) <laughs> follow my science. Um, and so I that was never my intention was to be like an influencer, but I really like being able to show what my experiments look like on a day-to-day basis and like, you know this is what it's like to be a scientist and I also want to be like I don't want to discourage anyone from going into science, but like I also want to be transparent about how hard it is. Like a lot of your experiments don't work and it can be really hard to separate your failure from an experiment failing um those kinds of things like there are a lot of struggles about being in academia and I want to be honest about those too I mean I'm still here it hasn't driven me out (laughs) but like I want to be honest and transparent about what that kind of experience is like as a woman in science
0: right I think uh, social media for that reason is definitely a boon and uh, it's, I think it's great that you're able to impart uh, more information about science and be so transparent about it because I'm sure it's not always, we don't always look through rose-tinted glasses when we're uh, working in a lab or just any field. Um, so it's great that you're also sharing the challenges that you face along with the benefits. Um, so, like, moving forward, um, what... You, I'm sure you did an undergrad program also before doing PhD. So um, what did you take in your undergrad?
1: Yeah. So I attended Carroll University in Waukesha, Wisconsin for my undergrad. I graduated in 2019. Um, I was there for four years. I took a genetics class that I really enjoyed as a sophomore. I took an advanced cell biology class, um, obviously really good biochemistry classes, um, advanced analytical, where I got to use all sorts of instruments, and I really got hands-on practice with, like, running my samples and the internal workings, a little bit of, like, how they worked, not too complicated as an undergrad, um, but just, like, generally how, what my samples were doing while they were in there. Um, So, yeah, I really enjoyed my time in undergrad. I miss it a lot, actually. (laughs) Just, I really enjoyed the class structure and all my instructors and everything because I mean that's ultimately the kind of environment that I want to be a professor in. So yeah,
0: and uh did your undergrad program also offer a core or an internship?
1: Um yeah, so I did um two summers of undergraduate research, um, but it wasn't actually through my university. I actually did it where I'm at grad school now. Um, <laughs> So it's not too far. It's like a 20-minute drive or so away. Um, and so I spent two summers doing full-time research, um, both between my sophomore and junior and then my junior and senior year. Um, so it was two different labs, two different research projects, but at the same school.
0: So did these um, research like projects in your grad school motivate you to join um, the grad school that you're in currently?
1: Yeah, because like I knew some of the professors from my summer experiences when I applied, so then I wasn't going in completely blind. Um, it also happened to be that the lab that I joined, uh, the two background experiences that I'd had, so the, the two summers, they kind of blended perfectly into what became my dissertation work. So I got to be able to combine the two. So during my first summer, I did um, ubiquitin proteasome system stuff, so like protein degradation um, and how it applies to neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer's and ALS and Huntington's. And then um, for my second summer, I learned about G-protein coupled receptors, and I studied it in terms of uh, blood pressure regulation. And now... I combined ubiquitin and GPCRs for my dissertation work. So I took a little bit from both and smooshed them together and made a project for myself, kind of.
0: Yeah, I think it's all interconnected. Like, it's, mm-hmm. even our bodies, everything is uh, related. And uh, as you mentioned before, that even the smallest cell contains so many different structures within. And even those have structures within. So our body is so vast and Uh, and that too it's one cell that we are seeing there are so many cells in our body so um, that's just insane to me
1: I know it's amazing that we all ever work right if I think about it too much it hurts
0: (laughs) (laughs) right absolutely (laughs) there's so much to go into and so many different fields that are exploring um, everything about our body like you're specializing under one type of cell but there are so many different fields that are focusing on so many other things in our body so it's just, oh yeah it's just crazy <laughs> i know i i agree i think it's really cool so uh, what are your plans after completing your phd
1: uh, so i want to be a lecturer so i have learned that like i like research for what it is but i just don't think it's sustainable for me for a long-term career. And what I mean by that is just, I don't want to have to write grants all the time. I went through the process of writing a grant for the uh, National Institute of Health uh, last year, and it was very stressful. It turned out well for me, um, but I, it's just not something that I would want to have to do for the rest of my life. I mean, and that, that's a good thing to learn, um, but that's what comes with being a research professional for the most part. Um, and so I would rather be in an environment where I can um, have teaching and curriculum
0: development
1: as my primary job.
0: Right, so um, do you want to get into some field that uh, also has communication involved in it, because I'm sure research is more based around a lab, so are you looking forward to something with communication along with your research?
1: Yeah, so I, that's the problem, is like I'm I'm, I mean, I might continue research afterwards, um, but I, I might not. And that's okay. Um, it's a love of science either way. <laughs> um, and I think training the next generation of budding scientists is, I, I argue, is equally important. Um, so that that's really where my passion is. I really like being able to explain science to other people because it always just seems so intimidating and I just want to make it more accessible.
0: Right, right. But uh, I mean, STEM is such an interdisciplinary field, so there's so much to get into. So I'm sure that you'll find something that's uh, interrelated that you can, that fits as per your your experiences and what you want to really get into.
1: Yep. Yeah, I'm open. Um, Sometimes I just kind of browse around Google and see what kinds of science communication jobs can I get? Um, (laughs) Because I'm curious. But yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, sometimes we just depend on Google because it has all the answers. And yeah, uh, I'm like, I don't I'm like, I don't know.
1: (laughs) all, all everyone on my committee and stuff. I mean, they're all in academia. That's the path that they chose. And that's great. But like not a lot of people know about all the other choices that you have. So,
0: yeah. And the great thing about Google is that if you search something, you can either come out of it stressed or you'll be happy with your results. So it's really unpredictable, but that's the great thing about Google. It gives you all the information, just completely unfiltered.
1: It, It also is helpful too, that I'm in this awesome science communication community on Instagram and, I have friends in all sorts of areas. I have friends in artificial intelligence. Now I have friends in pathology labs. I have friends in microbiology labs and like, they're all going different directions with their PhDs. And so I can ask them, which is helpful.
0: Right. Yeah. So um, like, as you said, it's so important to surround yourself with people that are in the same field as yours, or if not the same, just some feel that they have stemmed from after biochemistry, because you learn from their experiences and, um, So maybe that can help you choose which path you want to go after your PhD. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Lastly, I want to ask you, um, why do you think more people should join the STEM fields?
1: Well... (laughs) There's a lot. There, there's a lot of reasons. Um, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, if if you want to go the more engineering route, there's. I mean, I know nothing about physics, and hats off to people who love physics and are passionate about it. Um, because I just really don't conceptually understand it. Like here, and admitting my <laughs> my downfalls, right? Like I love biochem, but like there are just some things that I don't understand. So other people should go and do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I think people get intimidated by like, oh, I'm not good at math or, oh, I don't have perfect grades. Like you, you don't need perfect grades. You need passion. If you really like it, like you'll get there. And I think people are more patient in the training part than what you think they might be. Um, people are willing to train you and get you ready for the job that you really want. Um, I know a lot of people who like really didn't have perfect GPAs, got into great PhD programs or decided halfway through college that they wanted to do something else. I'm like, that's okay too. So, um, yeah, that's that's how I feel about that, I guess.
0: Right. And uh, as you said, everyone has a different skill set, like someone in the math or physics field must be so intimidated by biochem. So um, everyone has something different to offer to the table. So being authentic is the best thing that anyone can ever bring and that's why I think STEM is such an important field that people should get into because uh, we all have different skill sets and STEM is all about logical thinking and it really widens your horizon so um, STEM is an extremely important field according to me.
1: Well and I would say too like you know especially with the the logical thinking there's certainly a lot of that and I'm—I've been always surprised at how much creative thinking is necessary. Like when I'm troubleshooting an experiment, it's like, okay, how much should I change the concentration, based on what this looked like? How much should I do? Or, you know, how can I slightly change um, how I'm making this figure? Like, how can I make this? Um, could I use color to make it more clear? If I made different color differences, is it going to be too busy? Um, Those kinds of things, like composition of figures and stuff like that, there's a lot more subjectivity to it than you think. And so creative minded people are very welcome in STEM and there will be a spot for you.
0: Yeah, well, I think we are all problem solvers, everyone in the STEM field. So if you're thrown, if any challenge is thrown at you, you'll use all your problem solving things that are skills that you get through your um, STEM experience and you just put it at anything you get. So that's why I think STEM is so amazing because you use your mind throughout, like every step of the way. So, even throughout your daily activity, sometimes you must be catching yourself thinking, oh, that's something I've seen in the lab. So, probably I can use this here as well. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to ask you what advice would you like to give to anyone that wants to join this same field as yours? Uh,
1: like biochemistry research yeah. in general. Um, If you are a high school student or an undergrad, there are so many opportunities for you. And a lot of times you just have to ask, and I know it seems big and scary, but like mentors want to mentor you. They want to train people just like you and get them excited about science. Um, All you have to do is ask. And having that kind of research experience can really propel you forward um, and making those professional connections early on is really important. I would say too that academia does have a way of taking over your life if you let it. Um, You can't let it. Embrace who you are. Stay with your hobbies. Maintain them outside of lab. You're a scientist, but you can also be, you know, a wonderful friend and an artist and all the other things you want to be. I really don't want people to feel like If you if you don't dedicate every single aspect of your life to being a scientist, then you're not a good scientist. It's not true. Like you can be a good scientist and be good at so many other things that make you who you are
0: yeah that's some really great and heartfelt advice well that's it for today thank you so much Chandler, for coming on my podcast i had a great time yeah. talking to you and i definitely got to know so much about your experiences and your insights so it was just amazing thank you so I'm much glad. i'm glad thanks for having me yeah and uh, to let all of you know this podcast is now available on youtube apple Podcasts, spotify and all your listening platforms make sure you subscribe to all of them and stay tuned for more is there anything you'd like to shout out or say anything before you log out? Nope, thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah.